0: Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're gonna to talk how this year's dry conditions might impact Crop Year 24. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at how solar grazing is coming into the agricultural world. Egg history minute, we'll talk about the history of corn rootworm. Cool beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events. We'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomberg. Hey guys. Todd Schomberg. Hey to all the tilties out there. And I'm Matt Bruger. all with Tilth Agronomy. <music> well that indoor volleyball record didn't last long, did it? Well that, the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago
1: was an outdoor, remember it was or like, that it was
0: outdoor, that's right. It
1: was in a stadium. It was in a stadium. But last night, Wisconsin beat Marquette at Fiserv. So okay, that's kind of cool at Fiserv, and they broke the indoor women's NCAA record for attendance, over seventeen thousand.
2: That's full. Yeah, like, full Pfizer. That's awesome. And they didn't
1: have to like put anybody on the floor or anything like that, like Nebraska did for for football. So, or not football, but in, in the their, stadium. Th- yeah, yeah.
2: That'd be a much better place to watch, said volleyball match as well. Like if you're in a football stadium watching it, wouldn't no? You just wouldn't see a lot of right, it, right? If you're way up in the back, right. You're Like right? Like maybe if put, you had binoculars, like when they put basketball for the, like the final, final four, four is in you know all those big indoor stadiums. Did did it say how many Badger fans versus Marquette fans it, were at this? Volleyball matches. It didn't, it but if you look a at lot some of
0: pictures, it's badgers like almost fifty-fifty. I say there's a fair amount of red in there. Yeah,
2: I mean with with can like Pfizer's pretty close to market campus, so it's right there. So you'd think they'd be able to fill it. So that's pretty cool that that many traveled from Madison, Madison, Milwaukee Not that far. But that's still that's really cool.
1: The Badgers are ranked number one in the country, so that does help. For,
0: for volleyball. For volleyball. Yeah, they're, we're a volleyball school now, Matt. Yep. Especially after the near-drubbing over the weekend in football. We won't. We'll skip that for now. <laughs> but the Packers look good over the Bears. Or the Bears are just really that terrible. I
2: think the Bears are really terrible. Bears still suck.
0: But it was, it was still, still like, fun. It was still, yeah, fun game for us anyway.
1: I'd be curious how many not that they scored a lot of points or yards, but if Fields couldn't run. Oh, right. Like, their offense is him just running. Like, that's their offense.
0: Right. Yeah, their uh, trade, or, uh, yeah, the offseason trade for DJ Moore, which was supposed to revitalize their offense. He had two catches, three catches, maybe? He's their new number one receiver.
1: Did you hear Jair, like, after the game, they're like, "Yeah, you didn't have any catches." And Jair's like, "Yeah, what'd you expect?" Yes. <laughs> nice, nice. The Packers, all, we do all kind got, of knew that
2: was going to happen. This team does have like some swag to them that hopefully to like sooner or later in the season they're going to get punched in the mouth and lose two or three games in a row for sure. Maybe hopefully not more, but it'll be how they do after yeah those that three you know three games in a row that they lose, and if they can keep that swag to them and. That sort of cockiness is, is cool. It's good. It's well in well,
0: Jair in particular because he gets in trouble and gets stupid penalties, but then at least plays better. Yes, because he started out with one was on a what was the I just remember well, they were on the sidelines and yeah, he was well yeah
2: yeah, but Pack is back, so it's good. Yeah.
1: Surprising, kind of. I I don't know. I thought it was kind of a surprising start, but again, the Bears aren't. I guess aren't very good, so we should have expected this. But
0: the way yeah. they were talking before the game, you'd yes. think they were the second coming of of the eighty five eighty five yeah eighty five Bears, but uh, not so
2: much. This weekend, the Packers play the Falcons, yeah, yep. and that's not a
1: very they're
2: not very good either, right?
1: Nah, no, I mean they got a young quarterback
0: too. I think they won though last week. They did, but so the, the, not the winning a game in the NFL. <laughs> As we're talking about the Packers here, is this one game is nothing really, but
2: but still to start two away games like at Soldier Field is not an easy place to play either, and that crowd seemed into it right away. And yeah, but they mean, they gave up. Oh, well, they fast. gave up really <laughs> fast. Yeah, because it, while well, it was like wow, they're really loud, and then within yeah, right then you, right after they got down, it was. Yeah, it was pretty quiet.
0: When the booing went from booing the officials and booing the Packers to <laughs> booing their <laughs> own team. Yeah. yeah, that
1: was... Yeah.
0: So how many memes did you see of the ownership transfer? Yep. Oh, yeah. did they show yeah, that? Yeah, there's like high fives between Rodgers and Love, and oh, yeah, there, there's him transferring the ownership to the Bears. Bears. Yeah. A
1: little premature on that one, but I get the... Yeah, no. And, I mean,
0: the worst they can do this year is split,
1: so... Right, um, and hopefully it's the last... Well, the, other, the Bear game in Lambeau is the last game of the year. So hopefully yep. at that point, they still have something to play for and
0: it means something. Yep. And well, the Bears could still be terrible by then. Yeah. Maybe they'll have a new head coach by then. Who knows? <laughs> the Falcons did beat the
1: Panthers last week, Todd. That's so right. It was the Panthers. Wasn't it? The oh, AK okay. Beat mm-hmm. the 49ers or something like that. So It'll be hard because it's there, but if they play like they did last week they should beat them
0: yeah I mean we broke the the streak hopefully from last year with the opening drive touchdown last year there was one all season and this year the first game we had one so
1: and the the streak of just sucking royal butt on the first week of the year the last two years right we got our yeah the Packers got their butts kicked
0: yep
2: what blows me—they said Jordan Love did not audible out of any plays that Matt Lafleur called So yeah, there, zero. There was like, only one time that, so that was the Lafleur said he didn't get him a play. Okay, there was one enough. time. Okay, but
0: he didn't audible out of what he told. Sure, Lafleur just, just didn't get him to play. play. Yeah,
2: so that shows like the true Lafleur offense right there, which was for the first week was pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, big elephant in the room is the Rodgers thing, huh? Just it's such a weird. Were you guys like happy, sad? Like, what was your feelings after watching that? Rogers going down. Kind
1: of not surprised. Yeah. Like I wasn't obviously happy, or like I guess I was like, well, now our you know first round pick isn't happening, but whatever. But I was like, oh yeah, he is forty, whatever. Like
0: I found like that happens a bit ironic because you know. They've been hyping. That's another one. They were hyping oh, the whole maybe time. Maybe that's like, a better take, Matt. Make Making the Super Bowl run. Like, this is our year. And not even a full series.
2: Right. That it, that was that quick. Right. Blew me away. And then why? Because
0: like, I, I saw it at first. Like, oh, he twisted his ankle or right. something. Right. Whatever. Well,
2: and he got up after it, too. Yeah. And then he, like, all of a sudden, he's just, like, sitting down. And just his face. He and knew. Just, right. He had to have just, known. Just how he sat down. Yeah. It was like. That's not good. Like, like you say, he he knew something pulled and was just getting up to see and test it, and then sat back down. It just, just I'll, I'll be him sitting there if that's the last memory of him, will be shocking. I, I, I
1: think that's why it won't be. Like, right. I think he's going to do whatever he has to do to get just, back. Just, so just that play. is not the last memory of him that right. we all have. Right.
0: I kind of thought he was going full tilt diva at first before you know. Now, obviously, we know it, it was a torn Achilles, whatever, but. 'Cause the there was just the one Twitter video I saw of or sorry, X video. It's still Twitter. <clears throat> of still him no. like on the cart, like on his phone. Like somebody recorded him, like going and he looked like just like, nope, I didn't want to play today. Like right. just kind of the look you had of like but obviously he is legitimately hurt, but yeah.
2: I th- I think the irony I think there is they always talk at the Packers how we didn't get enough weapons, you know, that especially yeah. in wide receiver. He always had pretty good running back, but wide receiver, we gotta get him better, wide receiver, got a better and he would have been so good. And look what the Jets did. They got all these weapons, but yeah. that O line of the Jets is so bad. Yeah. And watching the block on that play that he got hurt on was one of the it was just the worst offensive line play I've ever was seen. Was it even
1: the left tackle? It was the left tackle. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so he went from,
1: from his best friend and I, right. like yeah. Pecker right, Hall of Famer for sure. If not, if he plays long enough, maybe, maybe. Well, look
2: f- at David Backer. He even had his back after it, saying, yeah.
1: blaming the turf, turf,
2: turf which yeah. is legitimate, into, not, not the, not, hey, hey, right, not hey, what happened, right, there? Right, exactly, yeah. exactly." But as agronomists, though, I do think we got to weigh in on the turf versus grass. That definitely need more grass on these fields for these players to that that. that that is a legitimate thing thank god lambo has this sort of i mean it's not fully grass but it's a uh, kind of a compo- yeah. what you'd call hybrid version of it but yeah that that the crazy- we, were, we were meant to play on grass yeah. not on yeah well carpet. and
1: think about even like how much the grass changes throughout the season. Like it's oh yeah. In pristine condition in September, right? And yep. then by the time they get to December, it's <laughs> but, but that's it's still better than it's still turf. amazing how well they can keep it now yeah. and the
2: technology we have to keep grass going. And I, I think I, these teams obviously just don't want to pay for that. But turf's expensive too. So well I and, I and when you have concerts on these fields and
1: all that other stuff. I saw an interview with JJ Watt yesterday and he was talking about SoFi must be built like the field is underground. Like they dug out a hole and then put the field down okay, sure. below. So you must walk in like halfway up the stadium when you walk in. Which is like, SoFi? that's um, the Chargers, Chargers, Chargers Rams. Char- okay. Yep. And uh, well, how do you, like, at least in Phoenix, they roll in and roll out that. They right, roll the field rolling. in and roll it out so you can get, because it's a dome. Well, there, how do you do that? And that was his argument. Like, we're building these stadiums. They're not meant for turf or uh, for grass. They're, how do you, you can't roll something underground Under, right.
2: out. You got to see the new, like the soccer stadium. And I don't know much about soccers, but um, Tottenham. Yeah. That's like where the a, Packers played last year. Right. Okay. So they now have a retractable pitch and you got to watch the YouTube video of this thing. Like they're all basically picture 10 yard amounts that can be, that basically go underground on these like, you know, it's all on a track system and then like an elevator down and then it's got grow grow lights to keep so it. it's all retractable mm. and then just go. The field like, is retractable, right. not the roof. Right, exactly. Nice. So and then they put a you know surface over it to do concerts and other stuff on, but they've got, you know, all that system to get grass for the soccer players and that. And it, it's just it's super cool the technology that we do have now. Yeah. And even, even that people were a lot of the comments on it were well, isn't that, you know, all that grow lights, it's a waste of electricity on that. But a lot of those are LED now and they're able, and even Lambo they put
1: grow lights on they it. They do. The, yeah. the, I saw them. Right. here the I winter was, Yeah. They do it in the summer. Well, true. True. Like I was, we had a meeting for St. Jenner or something I went to on Anagen Corn like five years ago in August and they had it at Lambo in one of the one of the um, suites and we just got looking out the window and yeah, the whole stadium or the whole field was under lights. filled. It looked like, it looked like center pivots. <laughs> it was just a, these gangs of crow lights mm-hmm. in August. Like why do we need this in August? But
0: I suppose they, you only get probably full sun. Right. When the, at noon, cause yeah. the way the bowl is. And yep. I'm, we have to have the technology to be able to do exactly I, like right, what you just, I just said. I like, mean,
2: this is there's I, so many I, other things
0: you can do. They they have those like greenhouse tray things with grow lights and everything. That, like, you can't tell me we couldn't do all grass. It's it's couldn't really be that
1: hard. It's the our favorite sports guy from DC says it's the privately business privately owned business that's publicly funded, right? Like, right. so. They're gonna do whatever they can do to make as much money as they can without paying for all these things they should be paying for because it's a business. Hmm. It's amazing to. It's about a fifty-fifty split of
2: natural grass versus turf stadiums, and like yeah, Arizona Cardinals Bermuda grass, Ravens Bermuda, couple with obviously Kentucky bluegrass, Chicago Bears Browns Broncos Jaguars Bermuda, Chiefs Bermuda Raiders Bermuda. So a lot of it is Bermuda grass, so you keep going down the line here, and about four have Kentucky blue. So there's fourteen that have full grass, fourteen that are turf. And then what are the other four? Two. Well, oh, yeah, you're right. Fourteen, fourteen two. Let's just list thirty that I can see. Okay. So um, there's thirty two teams. Yeah, you're right. Oh, because the Jets, giants, oh Jets saying the same and sort of the Rams and um, Chargers. That yeah. could be part of it.
0: Yep. And then um Yeah, there's two teams. there's four teams that share. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then um this Deso Grassmaster—that's the Eagles and the Packers—have a hybrid grass sports playing surface, is a mix of artificial fibers and natural grass. So that that is really neat that they can, and I, don't, I haven't heard anybody complain about Lambeau or the Eagles Stadium no. either. That that it's you know that this combination thing is good or bad either. That would be, just imagine that growing, like, yeah, basically, you know, growing grass through turf like that. I mean, it's not turf because it's a different fiber, but they, like, sew it into Lambo So, yeah, just thought you guys had to weigh in on the
1: the agronomist point of view of (laughs) need more grass in the NFL. Sports should just be played on grass, though, isn't it? like I I get the turf part of it because it's faster and footing and all that, but... Did you ever play on... Uh, Camp Randall like when you were for some reason I never played on it when it was the old school astro like the bad stuff yeah we ran on it for something because we
2: played on it for we'd like a flag football championship we got to play on it once and then for some other reason we were on it and it it is you do get, you can like pivot way better, sure. but it's almost too good. Yeah, where yeah. you could see there's no, why there's no give, obviously. Why you tear your Achilles? Right. is because you're and then if pivoting you pivoting way faster than you, if you land on it, holy man, like the rug burn and oh, stuff yeah. you'd get is yeah, it is cool, but like you say, at the same time, we're we're not made to play in that. But a lot of college stadiums are
0: turf.
1: Yeah, I mean
0: Cam Brandel is so. yeah. All right, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. So obviously we're winding down crop year 2023. So how will dry conditions from this year possibly impact our crop year next year? So current drought monitor, if we look at that, it's still southwest Wisconsin, pretty dry down there. They've got D4 in part of the area but most of it's in d3 a few pockets of d3 up in the north as well where we are we're kind of in the d1 to d0 in out county here so oconnell county is the yeah they're the bright spot apparently of of the world and west, uh, eastern shano county because they are not having a drought right now
1: and that was released this morning, so that's yep, this the this is most the new one.
0: Yep. So what does that mean? Well, obviously, even though we've been getting some rain on and off, we're still not uh, where we normally would be. So how is this going to play into next year? Bill, you listened in on a talk yesterday that talked about how droughts can kind of carry through. Yeah, UW Extension does a
1: weekly Crop Connect um, webinar and then I'd I'd tell everybody listening to just Google that up and they have all like all their previous ones are there. I don't think the one from yesterday is up yesterday yet. Um, but eventually that one will get posted and uh, Francisco Ariaga, he's kind of the tillage guy? Soil health soil <laughs> would we'll call him the tillage guy. Well just he talked a lot about tillage and right he is the he's the kind of
2: He's a soils, the soil guy. aggregate. Yeah. Yes. guy. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. He talked about, um, you know, reducing tillage this fall to keep as much soil resi- like crop residue on the surface for protection and for moisture holding. You know, we're in a drought, so anything we can do to to not dry it out more. Yeah, to not dry it out more. And he basically said by keeping s- as much residue at the surface, and he didn't say like no till. He just said like, you know, some incorporation is okay with breakdown of, you know, like breaking up residue. Yeah. Like you don't get rid of the residue. Right. He basically said by having some residue there, we can save up to three quarters of an inch of water. And he's like, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you don't have a lot, it is a lot. So he was, he was just talking about that and, and keeping as much residue as we can. Not doing a tillage if we don't have to. I think that is a great point that we got to talk about is prescribed
2: tillage. Yeah. It's a word I've been using more of. Too many times when we talk about a group of fields, it's like, or, or like I took corn silage off, which is happening right now. Are we going to till the corn silage or not? And it's just that's the question. And it's like, no, the question should be, does field two need tillage? Or not, and what type of tillage does it need? You know those, like specific to that. And this time of year does get hard to do that because I think it's also a, you know, your farm, the farmer and the agronomist got to make that choice together. In a lot of ways, it's not the agronomist saying yes or no, and it's not the farmer always. So just even hopping in the truck with the farmer and taking the penetrometer around and just saying, okay, yep, these or them, you know, as they're going across, it they can see conditions and know why they till. So just going to look at that and does this one need tillage or not? When we are dry like this, a lot of times you don't have much compaction issues to worry about with trucks on fields. Or and ruts. Right. From wet yeah, conditions. This year we won't have,
1: you know, as of right now. Right. It could right. change. Right. 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 It could change. But.
2: And that's why you want to look at it too. And that's what's hard with the penetrometer on a dry year. Like the whole soil seems
1: tight. Yep. But. You could still look at it and know like you say the I, what what you need to the one thing do you prescri- should watch though, Todd, especially in corn silage, yeah, it's dry, but watch those like truck lanes or whatever, if you're like creating a let one spot throughout the whole field that everybody goes to, and you make a lane out of that, obviously, which is
2: what you want to do, correct, which is what you should do, and then go till that spot, yeah, right with
1: some deep tillage
2: or some some that's a great point as well as when we do talk tillage too you could even get down to like which parts of this field should we till up and then which parts can we do no tillage or less aggressive tillage.
1: The other cool thing Francisco talked about was um, there's a drought severity and coverage index that they've formulated over the years and basically it's a formula that takes into consideration all the all the um, levels of drought, so the D1, D2, D3, and they kind of add them all together, and then it makes this severity index. And if you remember back to, we had a little one in 08, 09, and that, the I think it was 08, and then it actually kind of extended into 09, which wasn't as bad as this year. And even the one in 12, 2012, and we all remember that year because that was our famous Farm Tech Day's, year that was so dry this year in this index where they add all the drought up and create this index 2023 was actually higher than 2012. In 2012 if we all remember like people were cutting ditches for cattle feed and like it was it was a bad it was a drought right that year. That shocks me because what we're
2: seeing out in the fields and the same and this is comments from farmers too that had it really bad in 2012 is this is still better than 2012 is the comments they're saying like that. The crop looks better than 2012. It's not harvested yet. So we don't know how
1: much better it will or can be. And I'm wondering but, Todd of 20, 2012, like, yeah, we had it up here a little bit, but like well, Madison, and I'm, was I'm really saying bad. South, I'm saying yeah, the guys like, to the South that had it bad, but like this year, I think the whole state.
2: Correct. Correct. And the the comment that keeps coming up is they think they had a one or two timely rains in 2023. That in twenty twenty twelve it just went too long at uh, at critical periods, but then it was wetter kind of on the bookends of it. Yep. So and again, we don't know that weather data. This is this long term Palmer Index is kind of cool because it I just threw up a map of, from National Weather Service and it it does show how bad sort of Wisconsin, especially western Wisconsin, eastern Minnesota, kind of into parts of Iowa. Really were, really are, I guess, how dry, you know, you think it's kind of the whole Midwest. Um, And then there was that crop tour two, three weeks ago that, that the Farm Journal does or whatever. And, And they start that crop tour in, in like the Dakotas and in Ohio and work toward the middle. And they were getting like way numbers kind of higher than they thought in Ohio and the Dakotas. Well, as they worked to the middle and got to Iowa, then that's when it was real Real bad so a lot of that does make sense too is that not yeah. everywhere was initially hit really bad no
0: the Dakotas had a pretty banner year compared to their last two years really that they've gone through
1: we did go to the cities over Labor Day a couple weeks ago and pretty much you get past Wausau and anything that wasn't irrigated looked bad yeah. and then we visited some friends they live right by the cities on a on a lake there and the lake was probably was down lake way down? three feet yeah like, there was parts of the shore that they're like, we haven't seen this in... Since 2012. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: So well, that, like it's th- dry there, too. Like you said, with 2012, we got bookend rains where things at least got started. The thing with this Correct. year was we had misfires and either not starting or half started, half not. And that's the story yet to kind of be told on in harvest, especially on grain harvest, is going to be you know bill you yesterday you and i were together and you had two cobs that were right next to each other that were pretty far apart in terms of maturity and size and everything else so it's it seems like we improved on the tail end here but i'm still going to say seems cuz we don't we don't know that full story yet
2: but bill you're uh your draft strategy in the yeah. TTR uh, Fantasy Corn League is going to be very me. wild. Cause it's going to get me the championship. Yeah, Hopefully. Bill's draft strategy was go, you know, droughty corns, drafting all those. So if that, that'll really show potentially of how important it is to to look at specific things like that and how and maybe what those ratings really do mean. Or, uh, you know, it'll show are, are the group as a whole these hybrids just way better in drought, or is there still some really, really top ones yeah. that just can
1: handle it handle better it. than others? So I think two things, you know, we're talking about this drought is like, okay, now we should be nervous about, you know, what kind of precipitation we get in the fall and the winter, and if we don't get a lot, like we're going to go into next spring dry yep. uh, versus this spring we went in kind of wet. But also I think maybe a good side to this is our alfalfa fields. You know winter survivability and just winter health is going to be better because we're going you know going into a winter wet is not ideal for alfalfa, but going into winter dry is better,
2: yeah, one consideration with that would be depending how many cuttings you took the alfalfa was quite stressed this year with with the dryness, it didn't always show it, but it might be one where you do want to leave the fifth cut out there, not harvest it. Let that alfalfa regenerate the roots and leave it instead of trying to you know depending how much you did cut this year and how much you did stress that stand, but giving it a time here to regenerate and leave it. And most guys don't need the feed at that alfalfa halage at this point. So and it always does seem to look like there's more out there than what there really is. You know you go you look at the fifth guy oh man we got to take it look at how tall it is and then you walk in and look down and it's not as thick. As normal, but no. that would be one thing to consider with this dry weather is we just haven't had a lot of crops where it could regenerate the roots. So like you say, Bill, it'll help us that we are going in dry, but doing what we can to help it too is...
1: And there's a few farms I see cutting now, but I think for the most part, everybody cut right around Labor Day. So right. that whole 500 or was it two or three? Less than 200. Less than 200, more than 500. I think we're going to be
0: fine. Right. Like a lot of farms
1: are in that window that
0: should be fine, and hopefully with fertilizer prices dropping through this fall, the guys did fertilize and get the potash on helping things out. Yeah. So yeah, obviously it's important to consider the impact of what we're going to see next spring because I think you mentioned in that talk they said the 2008 bled in 2009. Versus right. 2012 with the wetter fall, we didn't really bleed into 2013. So it was, kind
1: of, it was kind of a big drop off there in the fall of 2012, right? Right when we
0: were on Farm Tech
1: Days. Yeah,
0: we experienced that. Well, yeah, that uh, change. That, in that's weather. a good
2: point. With that drought, is it was, yeah, Tech Days was the drought buster,
0: and it was July. Then, now July, right? Yeah, right. Whereas this, and it rained a lot. July kind of was the drought buster for some areas this year, correct? But not for everywhere. Uh, another thing, as we're moving later with silage and um, as soybeans are moving, is we might get later on our wheat planting. Um, you know, today it's the it's already the fourteenth of September, and I haven't seen a ton of silage going. Not that no one's going, but if you're the later we're getting here, not that it's still not there's there's still time, but we may see that push into next year a little bit later wheat planting so if that happens then our yields might not be as good as they were this year even in spite of the warm weather i think
1: what it does do and actually had a conversation with the farmer on the way in this morning is the the high priority we have to put on when the harvest is done of silage or whatever you're going to do to get wheat or rye or any of your covers in like get the drill following the chopper. Like a couple days sometimes matters. Yeah. You know, like you're planting uh, and it's 70 and three days, it's going to change to highs of fifties. If you wait three days to plant, now you're planting in that 50 degrees where you missed out on those three days of seventies. I think you're spot on bill.
2: Huge deal. Go huge deal. The, the ground itself, even, and we've seen the soil sampling, it's, it's more mellow. Right after the corn side is taken yeah. off, because you don't have the sun yep. getting down to kind of bake it. Bake it yet, yeah. yeah. Um, so, all that is just the quicker you that, that basically you should either have the drill in the field while you're chopping it or as the, the chopper's leaving, you know, that drill coming in. Because we've seen that. You talk about wheat yields and most of it has to do with planting date. Yeah. I mean, the earlier you can get it in this fall, the better. So, I, I agree with you on that. Is that's a. Just Huge thing We to, don't.
1: I don't think farmers put... Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think enough farmers put enough precedence or priority on... It's so much about harvest, right? Get right. it off, well, get it piled, get it packed. And it's like, yeah, but...
2: Especially that where you can just peel off one guy. We're yeah. not asking you to take a whole section of the crew. Just find one guy that can run the drill and be putting that in.
1: I got a farm that bought a drill. Like, he does everything custom. Sure. Like, he's. he said... I'm always waiting for my my drill guy. Like he never comes on time cuz he's trucking or doing something else. He's like I found a drill, I bought it and I'm going to peel off one guy. And in fact this year after wheat, he had his son do it. Like his son's like 13.
0: Yeah, really? Yeah, and he's in the like, and go.
1: He's into the farm, like he's there every day. Like he's well, going to probably take the farm over someday. And he did a great job with the fall seating.
2: I love that because I was thinking back in... There's not many tractor-driving jobs for 12- or 13-year-olds anymore. Like raking hay. Yeah. You know, where you got put on the WD-45 with a hand clutch and... You just go. Just, Dad said, go, and if you get in trouble, just throw this hand clutch. Yeah, don't hit the ditch. And that would be a good job where you could do it, I mean, it's an important job, right? No, but but if you showed them, here's the monitor, you know, and you had... that that could easily be done correctly. And and if and if it was screwed up a little bit, it's a cover crop. You know, yeah, so what? Or right. you figure it out. Or and this maybe was a cover crop that he was planting. It was
1: uh he was fall seeding alfalfa. But, but but Okay, that's a bigger was, deal. But, but it was still, early enough that there was one SWAT right along the road that they went once it came up a week later, they went back in sure, and, and, and fixed it, filled
2: it, it. But I but you're right, especially there with if it is a cover crop, yeah, put put a kid like that in that's learning if he screws it up you might learn something off his screw up that you don't yeah. need to plant so thick, or you don't, right. need, you know, like whatever. <laughs> or so yeah, your drill isn't
0: calibrated right. You right. Plant yeah. it too thick. Right. But yeah. it, and that. Go ahead. No. Go. I would just say that rolls into the next. Yeah, if you're looking to do cover crops for forage next spring, we're also pushing that later, so that along with winter wheat, you could see potential lower yields the later you're getting. So, reemphasizes that point the bill made of get in there behind the chopper, find another way to put manure on. Like right, like if yeah. you're well, going to do
1: covers or especially forage, like rye or trip for forage, find another way to put manure on. Don't have the manure guy or that, that time holding up hold it up. Right. Like it's not it's not acceptable anymore. Right. So or get,
2: get your covers in and manure after. Right. right. Do the Go yes. over the top. Yep. Yep. Or like you say have them set up Right away on certain fields, but fields that they're not going to get to for a while, you can be doing your covers and other
0: things. Yeah, Yeah, and hopefully, like we said earlier, with the potential reduced need for tillage this fall, means you can get in there faster because you don't have to make that extra pass either, necessarily. Some cases you might, but Uh, another thing we've kind of talked about before in the podcast, but it's going to come into play now is chemical carryover. We had Lack of activation, later applications, looking at how those chemicals might impact your fields and to expect potential, some potential. I know, I'm trying to think what year, was it 19, either 19 or 20, we, we had that later start. Everything got sprayed later. And then the next spring, it was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's why the peas and the peas and oats are looking really peaked is because we sprayed a lot later than we thought we were or that we typically would. So just
1: watch for those like areas where
0: you could double up
1: with the sprayer like yeah. right at the headlands, you know, you don't shut the boom off soon enough and you kind of trickle into the headlands a little bit. Like some of those areas, corners maybe where you come around and the outside of the sprayer like got the whip action so it's going fast but the inside is you know kind of hanging slow so you might have a little extra in the inside of
0: some corners. Things like that. All right, and the last one is, and there, I even found this article on talking about it. So increase in the in Kruse, yes. Is that increased, yes, <laughs> increased. No, it's not. Corn rootworm pressure um, has been seen through the drought here, um, particularly. Um, I know we talked about it yesterday, Bill Field Day. You and I were at, but um, yeah, there's been more pressure here. So corn on corn fields make sure you're noting that maybe switch them up if you can or at least make sure you got the right genetics when you're going into that field next year cuz maybe you know with the problems they can cause you don't want to see that hit next year and the beetles didn't i, I didn't see as much silk damage in a I think, Bill, you had a couple fields where they were damaging some It was, some soil, it was but, questionable, yeah. But just uh, their presences.
1: The rootworm's pressure is definitely higher than it has been. I don't think it's like any, you know, the sky's falling, I, chicken right. little right. type Right, I stuff. agree with
2: you on that. Like, there's certain fields and there's certain problems out there. I, this, I, I'm i not sure, did the did the drought exactly contribute to that? I don't know why it would or wouldn't. Yeah. So that's an interesting Take, but we are seeing more beetles, and we're seeing more beetles earlier, we and then more beetles extended, where you see them kind of earlier than we ever saw them. And we'll see on later. Talking
1: yesterday, Todd, at the field day, did we see like because of such a uh, long window of pollination and silking? Sure, yes, did like you know, like they weren't so bad, and then all of a sudden those silks were done, so they moved to maybe different fields, Fields, but
2: this year they had. Longer, there was a yeah, longer window way, or, like, they were windows where you they get could in there. Yeah. feed. That makes sense. That's a good... Especially on the headlands, I saw beetles way worse. And like in the truck when you'd park, you know, and yeah. have your windows cracked. Really, you'd have a whole bunch of beetles in. So I think, like you say, they were on the march more than normal. I just see Todd like, beetles everywhere. Be- yourself. Yeah. yourself. <laughs> and there's way more uh, spiders, I feel. I mean, those, the yellow field spiders. Yeah. Hmm. But if you find them, right, and you find beetles that are heavy, you can chuck the beetles in their webs, oh. and a lot of times... They'll go get them? They'll get them oh, while actually, you're... I have never done oh, that. Yeah, it's,
1: I always take a picture of a spider and send it to my wife, because she always says that's why she would
0: never work for me. Yeah. I'm just running into the... Yeah. Getting like the that would be, of, yeah, of that web. Yeah, that would be yeah. like her... Hell. So, there you go. All right. So, there's some considerations for crappier year 2024, even though we're... I know we're not finished with 23 yet, but... Um, planning phase has begun, and as you're thinking of next year, some things to consider. Now, move into our spotlight for today. So, I know we've talked about this just as a company, not necessarily on the podcast, but uh, solar grazing is kind of the new new thing that's being pushed as. Solar farms look to increase their footprint in the state. And so it's a way for farmers and solar companies to use land together, but there are definitely challenges. So, so they let the goats that.
2: eat the solar, solar panels? panels?
0: Yes. What, yes. What nutritional value is a solar yes. panel? Uh, you got to send it into the lab just like any other feed test. Okay.
2: And, and so we got to right grow. Done. Yeah, we plant solar panel seeds. You Do you send
0: yes. the goats the the or the... Goats. You, you just take part of the panel. It's okay. like a tissue test. You just take off a chunk and then like a little square it. of the panel. Yep. Okay. Yeah. No. So the idea here is um, obviously they can't run a lawnmower under a solar panel. So you well, have these, they, they they kind
2: of do, but you're right. It's a
0: not, pain. Yes.
2: Right. I follow you.
0: Not the way you. It's well, and same this, as this the just fact that they got a
2: mole under them sucks. Right. So yes. so
0: it's a way to keep vegetation in check for the solar panel companies and still get some agricultural use out of the the solar panel field. So uh, this particular article is referencing an area of Traverse City, Michigan, where they have a uh, big solar farm and they're grazing these, uh, in this case, it's goats, it's but sheep or, sheep or goats, goats. Yeah. Um, underneath the solar panel. So, and I know there's been some talk here in the state of doing some so I'm looking at that as um, there's one in Watoma that I've, I think is near completion, and they're talking about some others near Wapaca. That
2: you know. one by uh, crazy is crazy because they're doing like 21 has been under construction. Yeah. And then they're putting the solar panel farm in kind of at the same at time the same almost. Time. Yep. So you saw it going up a little bit, but then you couldn't be on 21 for the whole summer. So it's going to be wild when you go drive back on that road and, and what
1: it looks like. I could see, like, I have for a steer, like, if you put a bigger, like, they're trying to, like, scratch their back on these, like, <laughs> beams of the solar panel and, they <laughs> you, can,
0: like, knock it over. Can you can use the solar panel to power the brush for them to, to yeah, 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 rub right. up against. Yeah.
2: yeah, Buffalo. We should put buffalo <laughs> out there. That
0: sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> Even the goats, I wonder, you know, I, as they're jumping up on the it, the panels and stuff. Well, and it does say
2: they got to basically kind of... Especially like the wires they'll eat the wires and yep. some anything exposed properly so they got to kind of build them in a more can, robust way to protect Can like you put a
1: little electricity that the plant Like make sure it yeah, on just like, like an apple they bite into it
0: yeah.
2: You yeah, think like if you had dairy animals here would there be a lot of stray voltage would that be a problem?
0: So obviously if you don't have sheep or goats that's probably not ideal and I think there's an argument to be made over whether The land's more productive in ag ag and crops than with solar panels, but I guess if you're looking to marry the two, if you want the solar panels and you have these particular types of animals, it's a way to have a win-win for for both sides. Your animals get to continue grazing and you're producing power. So um, it's not for everybody. Obviously there's issues, like we said, with animals eating things. I'm sure the goats... Never poop on the solar panels uh, ever, and that would have no impact on on their production. But it's it's a way, I guess, if you feel strongly about the solar panels, to like I said, have have your cake and eat it too a little bit if you like sheep and goats. So um, it is it coming though. Like I said, there's areas around here that are putting in solar panel farms, so maybe something we see more of as. This trend continues. So now let's move into our ag history minute. So let's talk history of corn rootworm beetles. So all three corn rootworm species are native to North America, though much of the range expansion westward or western and northern corn rootworm occurred with the increase of monoculture corn production in the late 1900s. So Western corn rootworm uh, has been traced to Guatemala in Central America, where they were pests for corn for thousands of years. It's been in the Western Great Plains since the late 1800s, but not considered a pest until it caused noticeable damage in corn in Colorado in 1909 the 1940s, it was causing significant damage to corn in Nebraska and quickly expanded its range to the east coast by the 1980s. In addition, western cornworm has infested at least 20 European countries. So obviously they're here in Wisconsin. uh, Most of the way, their area distribution area doesn't quite go to all the way to northern Wisconsin, but it's mostly woods up there. There's not as much agriculture when you get that far north.
2: There's a little spot by Vancouver that... Is wild to me. If that Vancouver? I don't, like. Oh, yeah. That Vancouver. part of Canada. Oh,
0: yeah, by Washington State there, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that is kind of a, a little valley. Because then there's
2: like a little, they got a little box, and then in the bottom corner they got it like, yeah, specific to that area.
0: Right. <laughs> it's like a zoom-in view. Right, whereas everywhere else, they just got. It is in the bones. western United States. You, patchier, you see the just right. more patches.
2: But enough of that's the Rocky Mountains. Right.
0: So, I don't. Yeah. And then northern cornworm uh, likely originated in the Great Plains or northern, north central part of the United States. It was first found feeding on corn in Illinois and Missouri in the late 1800s. Prior to that time, it was grouped with another species by 1955. Northern cornworm was found throughout the Corn Belt. Within a few decades, the species expanded its range eastward to New York and north to eastern Canada. Presently, northern corn rootworm can be found in all areas north and east of Kansas and Nebraska. So that one, yeah, we don't see in the western United States at all, but kind of a similar distribution through the Midwest. Um, Wisconsin doesn't go quite as far north as the western did in that diagram, but um, still is pretty common one we see in this area. And then southern corn rootworm, the first injury to corn by southern corn rootworm, was reported in 1828. Southern corn rootworm is primarily found in states east of the Rocky Mountains and in Canada and Mexico. And yeah, so that one has a bit more in the west, but also, again, Midwest pretty much the same. Distribution just goes a little bit further south all the way to the Gulf in those states. Yeah.
1: did you notice the European western corn rootworm distribution?
0: The... That it's everywhere but uh, Spain and Portugal? No, that Switzerland is under eradication. under eradication. What does that mean, yeah. you think?
1: Isn't Switzerland always neutral? Like, they don't care, <laughs> care either <laughs> way? Like, we That's, don't care? Only with war is not for pests, oh, okay. apparently. yeah.
2: It's yeah, a no. wild map, too. They don't have northerns or southerns, but they have westerns. Just westerns, and yeah. It doesn't talk about what under eradication means it at mean, all.
1: And it must be too cold in Norway and... All those, uh, Finland
0: up there, Denmark. Cause and apparently the Great Britain never never got the bug because they're not there either. Or Spain or Portugal. It's the mainland of Belgium. Yeah, there's interesting interesting distribution there because I would expect it, yeah, Ukraine, Russia over there because of a lot of agricultural production in that area. But yeah, Switzerland, because that's very mountainous too. Interesting that they're... <laughs> eradicating them maybe they only, only have like two fields to eradicate yeah I don't know interesting so there you go that's a little bit of background on corn rootworm beetle
2: thank you Matt and thank you to all our listeners out there please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend it's all we ask is you just click that subscribe button tell a farmer friend hey what are you doing when you're out in the chopper what do you listen to just tell them, hey, we're ta- we're listening till talk radio all you got to do is Search Tilt Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts or on Android. Search Tilt Talk Radio on an app like Podcast Edit, Podbean, and Player FM. You can also listen on your computer and smartphone browser. That's pretty easy. Just put in tilthegg.com slash podcast. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio.
0: All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll get into our cool beans that's corny and some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. Silage harvest is picking up in Wisconsin as dry conti- conditions continue. So, like we said, it's we're not going full bore yet, but there are uh, places that have started. Some places to the south of the state have probably finished. Um, so it is working its way north as silage. Is happening So 92% of Wisconsin's corn is in the dough stage or beyond with 66% dented. 16% of the corn crop is mature. And the dry weather is causing some issues in some parts of the state. But overall, um, we're moving on with harvest, which is good. I think it's the culmination of what we, we do. And I don't know about you guys, but I always kind of feel a little more relaxed at harvest time. It's nice. It's... You feel that sense of accomplishment uh, it, as things are are finally happening, and yeah,
2: it's harvest just, is like the best feeling yeah. ever. Like that, school's out for the summer feeling that you used to get as a kid. That is the harvest feeling so good. I mean, football's starting, it's not so hot, it's yeah, it's just it is the best, especially here where we can do we got a lot of harvest, you know, we got wheat that's kind of okay but once you hit silage season it's yeah, it's exciting things and really start to roll. right in. into yeah. soybeans and right into corn grain harvest
1: well we can finally see the fruits of our farmers labors right like yep. how things look and how it's yielding and I, it, all the work we put in right. all summer is like validated or okay why do we <laughs> or, need to, or why do where do we need to fix right yep. or where do we need to do better
2: but even that, you you feel like you can learn something still from that, which is awesome. So it's just, it yeah. is the best feel. Like just that completion feeling does it feels so much nicer. So it's cool to see we're already you know eighteen percent done with corn silage, and I'm sure after this week that number is going to jump to probably forty percent. So it'll be yeah. It'll be uh,
0: good. I think the biggest thing now is just they got a, there's a couple shots of rain in the forecast. Yeah. If that. That misses, then things are really going to roll. It's going to so. open in
2: our area next week. going to be the big week. You know, yeah. the 18th to the 22nd of September is going to be.
1: You, a lot of I think you even called that, Todd. I
2: I was a little. I you said, said
1: the 18th. I remember well, talking, and you're like, "It's going to be ready at the end of the week," but a lot of guys are going right. to probably want to wait till a Monday, and it's going to be. It's going to be
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. That's corny this week. Two likely dicamba resistant water hemp populations found in Iowa. So, wah, wah. Woo, dang you, woo. Iowa. Keep almost, it there. I actually saw this article earlier in the week and I almost puked. <laughs> 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 yeah, it feels like we just got the technology and now we're finding dicamba resistant water hemp. Uh, HG4 resistant water hemp populations were previously documented in Nebraska in 2009, Illinois in 2016, and Missouri in 2018. Now it's in Iowa, so hopefully we'll have a little bit more time before we see it here, but it's only a matter of time, it seems, as we move forward. So it's an important reality check, as the article states. It's not a cause for panic, but it's important to remember that um, resistance is possible and to do our best to use the technology wisely. All right, now we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. And this week we're going to talk a sweet corn life and legacy for an Arkansas farm. So deep in the pocket of southeast Arkansas, the Miles Farm has linked from father and son to brother to grandson. Chain of Thanksgiving has grown stronger with time through the nearly one million years given to the public by this particular farm. So as farmers, and I'm guilty as anyone, we spend so much time chasing dollars to keep our operations going, and sometimes we forget about the little things outside our fields, according to Matt Miles. It doesn't matter how many big things like money, bushels, or land you get, if you forget the small things, you'll never be happy. So it began with a 60 acres, the Field of Screams, As they said, so in 1974, Charles Miles paid the cost of personal choices, packed his belongings, gathered his family, including his six-year-old son, Matt, and left behind a farm in the Delta Flats of Desha County for the mountains of North Arkansas, where he bought two semis and transported cattle for six years and regretted his decision. So after the six-year upheaval, his dad... Said uh, Matt said his dad genuinely changed. He got his life straight. Priorities in order became a more focused person and a man who wanted to give thanks. So in 1980, he moved back to the Arkansas Delta, once again to the tiny, tiny town of McGeehee, found work with Desha County grower at $183 a week. But he took it and, grateful for a chance to farm, he had a run of 60 dryland acres, which is squeezed into the shape of a pie piece. He planted the acreage into cotton, except for the extremity of the, where the rows ran short, and there he grew an acre of sweet corn and peas. So as they continued to grow the sweet corn and peas, he gave 100% of the yield away and continued... That trend through the family until they got to the one million. Like I said earlier, one million ears of corn given away. I
2: guess how many dozen
0: that is? How many dozen? Yeah, uh, I, I have no idea. I, is that's not math? I eighty three
2: thousand three hundred thirty three dozen. Wow! Or as we sold it, Bill Baker's dozen seventy six thousand Baker's dozen.
1: So would yeah, be six thousand dollars we would have gotten. Yeah,
2: <laughs> we sold for a buck a dozen. Yeah, holy man, I thought it was like two or three no, bucks. it was a buck. Made a lot of good money you had we a buck. And now, what was the average you guys saw this
0: year? A dozen five. I'd say four or five, yeah.
2: yeah I was gosh. surprised how many I saw some sevens and some sixes, but I would agree five seems to be the new and it, and that's probably an easy number. You know, you Seven. got a five dollar bill and you.
0: I think there's always sixes. I've seen sixes around for a while, but that's usually. And then,
2: like farmers markets, I was hearing nines and I, I, heard, af- and I heard a twelve. I was which, afraid wow. to
1: ask our friends from the city when we stayed with them because she made sweet corn. I was really, I didn't ask because I was sure, afraid it was a like buck a cob, oh, really. I'm sure she spent. 20 bucks on, the, on um, a dozen, easily.
2: I, this year, and I had a, a very good friend on Facebook comment, like, which was better this year, the corn, sweet corn crop or the watermelon, like, comparing watermelon to sweet corn? And he, like, because some of the sweet corn was pretty bad this year. Like, if you, if yeah, it you could pollinated wrong or, it like, yeah. some of it just it was not, it almost matured quickly at, t- at a weird time, too. That, so like, I had some very good stuff. Like, we ate a ton of sweet corn this year and had some awesome stuff, and some that was just garbage. Some
0: some was slow, and some was real fast, it seemed. It was kind of odd, because, yeah, I felt like the one farm I worked with, their sweet corn took forever to get ready. But then when it was ready, it was good.
2: Yes, whereas the stuff that was ready quickly, yeah, it it went bad quickly.
0: Yeah. All right, so there you go. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked... How the drought conditions this year might impact crop year next year in 2024. Our spotlight: we looked at solar grazing as a way to utilize that solar farmland for some agriculture purpose. Ag history minute: we talked about the history of the corn rootworm. Cool beans this week: is silage harvest picking up here in Wisconsin? That's corny. Is our neighbors to the south, west in Iowa, have found two likely dicamba-resistant water hemp populations. And our Field Good Friday was a Arkansas farm that gives away sweet corn to those around them in need and have given away over 1 million ears of sweet corn. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.